Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast prepared to squirrel grip PVL to make him stop creating any more ridiculous rules. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show, we'll be discussing all of the late-breaking news in the wonderful world of rugby league. But first, I'm joined in the Sports Best Friends studio by Xander Risotto and Media Watch Mario. Welcome, lads. Good evening. Good to be back, mate. Uh, how have you guys spent the last seven days? Oh, I've, I've spent it mourning, uh, well, I mean, the last three days at least. For every every injury that the Roosters have copped over the weekend, I, I've, I've picked an, a black item of clothing. I'm, I'm now covered uh, so head to toe in black, I was accused of blackface. I've actually admired that about you, Xander, in the past, the fact that when you do mourn, you will black up. Um, and it makes the funerals really awkward, but I love your dedication uh, to grief. To be clear, I haven't actually done blackface. I just had to find additional things to wear in black to cover all the injuries and it looked like I was wearing uh, black makeup but actually I was I was just wearing facial covers that were all black okay so you're in a burqa no, yeah that's wife, right it was his wife's right. black underwear I was wearing those underneath my 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 pants mate I wasn't wearing them on my face Zandy you say this but I've got some rather incriminating photos that have you uh, rather blacked up in the late 90s with Justin Trudeau you were into many of his private parties um so you can deny it if you like but i've certainly got the evidence but mario we need to know how your week was as well mate what have you been up to apart from probably getting really hard watching tommy turbo play i spend most of my week just hoping for career ending injuries to certain players from my team but unfortunately it doesn't happen to the ones i want it to happen to and we're still stuck with lachlan croker being picked at, at bloody hooker every week Mate, what would you like in particular? If you could choose an injury from an injury buffet or a smorgasbord of pain, what would you like to happen to Lachlan Croker? I would like him to have Des Hasler's head impaled inside his leg in a way that kills Des so that then we can replace Des with a competent coach that would actually take our very good lineup of players into the, you know, the level up to the levels that they should be playing at. I really am trying to work out the uh the impaling on of Des on a leg is the idea that we have we amputate the leg first. No, I figure I'm using Des as a spear and he's gonna and you know I'll somehow sharpen his head enough that he'll go straight through Lachlan Croker's leg, thus ending his career and putting him out of Manly's misery. While also of course I figure that can't be good for Des's head or internal organs or anything. It's gotta hurt him too and Hopefully he's forced to retire as well. So you're going to take a very dull instrument, Des Hasler, sharpen him up to the point where he could spear one of his own players and then discard him. Hey, I didn't say it was it was um, going to be easy to do, but I think anything worth doing is, you know, is going to be difficult. <laughs> Look, I've Sorry, enjoyed... I just, the- I just wanted to get that clear in my head. Sorry. I've enjoyed the fact we've started off with what appears to be an Australian fatwa. Um, of very awkward proportions. Um, Godspeed, Des. I hope Barrio doesn't kill you. Um, For what it's worth, guys, the last seven days has been quite eventful for me. Um, I've brought in my first child into the world. I've become a father. This is a 
quite the moment. It's a beautiful baby boy who, for the moment, shall remain nameless. And I'll, I'll throw this out there as a bit of an early boast. Uh, just today, I did my first nappy. So far, the wife's been on nappy patrol. Um, i got to say, not that hard. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Uh, it's not that hard until it starts flying out the sides and squirting you in the eyes. And yeah, oh. it, it, it gets more interesting. Mm, you've just described a Saturday night for Sam Burgess. No, look, I'll, t- <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I've noticed. Uh, sorry, one thing that I got from the doctor, the only little deflating thing is he said no sex for six weeks. Um, and I have to say, it's, it's pretty tough. For this little guy starting out in the world with me already holding a grudge against him. But I hope in time I can patch things up. Do you mean you've actually had sex in the last six to 12 weeks? I mean, that's a fair old achievement when, you know, when your wife's <laughs> as pregnant as she must have been. Well, mate, you may be aware of this or not. I'm not sure. But uh, there, I don't think it's a myth. But apparently having sex in that late stage actually brings on an earlier birth because it helps to break the waters um, or stretch the cervix or something. I'm getting very graphic, but um, so, th- so there <laughs> yeah, was there was a little bit a of biology class. I know, I know. We should probably, so far we've already got a fatware on Des Hasler. To we've explained Texas. where babies come from. Exactly. So we'll probably move on to some rugby league. <laughs> I, also, I also feel like you're probably, you know, just humble bragging about certain dimensions of something downstairs. Oh, look, every episode I put in a not-so-subtle humble brag, Mario. And if if this if it leaves you with something uh, vivid in the imagination, then I've done my job. Um, I, I did say we'd get into rugby league, but I do want to touch on one thing very quickly. On the 1st of May, boys, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, it was actually World Naked Gardening Day. And Xander, I want to start with you, mate. How did you celebrate that one? I celebrated it the way everyone should celebrate it. I went out into my garden and, and stripped naked. Beautiful. And, is and there gardened. A, is there a particular gardening activity you like to do, Starkers? For all of it, mate. I, I particularly like getting down in the weeds. I just, you know, just being able to to make sure that I'm in as many positions as possible where I'm bent over um, so the neighbours can enjoy it in full force with me. That's great. Is it, you reckon if a postman came across you at that moment that that's technically sexual assault? I don't think it's technically sexual assault. I think generally it's just, I think it's full-blown sexual assault. <laughs> Mate, and I hope that a postman never comes across me. <laughs> that's what I was well, getting at. That's right. That's like that famous movie, The Postman Only Comes Twice. For what it's worth, I did trim my pubes like a manicured hedge to celebrate the day, which was difficult because... You know, my wife was giving birth at the time because I don't know if you know this, my double degree was in papyri. It, it sort of brought up a bit of a segue in my mind in terms of cinematic history. Now, when I think of people trimming hedges, there's one movie I think of, and of course it's Edward Scissorhands. I wanted to put it to you, Mario. Do you think that the, the world of papyri, that that occupation exploded in popularity after the release of that film in the early 90s? Oh, I think it's absolutely inevitable. And then I assume that when X-Men followed, you know, not that many years later that, you know, people just saw Wolverine and instantly thought, wow, I'd better get out and do some gardening. And so it had a resurgence. You know, my only real gripe with that movie is the fact that they never really addressed how hard it would be to take a shit if you were Edward Scissorhands. I mean, it would be, how do you wipe, Xander? What do you do there? A bidet. You get a bidet. That's easy. Mm, yeah, exactly. good point. Better than shredding your own. Pretty simple solution. Yeah, well done. Mind you, I, I, I think I think there are there are probably more challenging activities. Um, you know, taking <laughs> yes. a shit, yes, yeah, sure. Um, taking a piss, 
bit harder. How about wanking? I think you got once, Mario, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, it depends what you're into. If it's a David Carradine kind of wank, then you probably really enjoy it. All right, guys. Well, rugby league. We did promise we we sort of mentioned some rugby league on the voluntary tackle today, so we should get into it. Joe Tarpity from the Raiders. Now we've had a little bit of this this year, but his wife Kirsten has come out with an almighty spray against Ricky Stewart. I'm not sure if you guys are across this story or not, but look, it, it has become a little bit more rife, obviously, in the digital age, and and you know, players, spouses, and mums uh, on social media. Uh, sort of mouthing off about their uh, relative's team or coach or the way that they've been treated. And I want to pick your brains on this. So Joe Tapaday's wife, this is what she said on Instagram. You have an international player warming your bench for 50 minutes. Your interchange, Ricky, is killing us. Ref's call counts means jack when coaching decisions are rubbish. So she's really giving it there to Ricky Stewart. Um, first question, Xander, should this be something that all players are aware of? Tell your relatives to stay the fuck off social media and not bag anyone, because I tell you what, it would make training the next day very, very awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I did see this and I thought, I, I wonder if she consulted with him. Maybe it's just gotten to that point where he's gotten the shits and she's just thought, fuck it, she'll create some pressure. But um oof. Yeah, I think it would be uncomfortable. But maybe it was ta- maybe it was calculated. Maybe he said, "Well, I can't do it, but honey, if you did it, um, I've got plausible deniability. I just have a, you know, my wife's just um, looking out for me or something." Well, Mario, you love a good social media rant, <clears throat> but do you enjoy it as much when it's the wife of Joe Tappanay? No, I mean, it was, although as an outsider, I found it very entertaining. I, I don't mind seeing the Canberra Raiders imploding the way they very clearly are with half the players wanting to fuck off back to England and go to wherever they want. I mean, they can all go play for the Bulldogs. I don't care. You know, they can, they can enjoy the bottom four while Manly can, you know, take their spot in the top eight. Obviously, you know, this is a a social media story, but beneath the surface of it, there is sort of murmurs that Ricky Stewart has sort of lost the dressing room. There's a few players there that are, that do appear to be pretty unhappy. You've just alluded to one already, Mario in George Williams, who's, using the term or using the excuse I'm homesick to to get out of there but he's not the only one it's not looking good at the moment but I mean I think we should actually address the content of her tweet saying that that oh you've got an international player just wasted on the bench he's an international player with massive air quotes around that that expression he's <laughs> He's a decent player. He's not very good this year, frankly. I don't know how well he's adapted to the new rules and everything. And, you know, I think he's playing about as much as he deserves. Everyone was talking at the start of the season about how Canberra had this most amazing forward pack and depth for days and how, um, what's his name, Ryan James wasn't even going to make the bench once they had their full team. And I was, I remember thinking, hearing that thinking, they're all deluded. They've got this bloody crying redhead and they think he's ahead of Ryan James, fuck off. Like it's turned out that, oh, Canberra's players aren't that great. I mean, Grant said Hodgson was a bit of a handbrake on, on their go forward, but you know, it doesn't matter who you've got there if the pack aren't good enough. And Tom Starling, I reckon is an improvement, but I don't think he's enough of an improvement to, to fix what's going on there at the moment. Do you think that there are some players actually just struggling for form there as opposed to Ricky losing the dressing room? Like, you know, guys like Josh Papalihi, right? I mean, he's been dominant for the last mm. three or four years, and and yet he's been dropped to the bench. Clearly, uh, either 
in terms of out of form or out of favour with the coach. I'm not sure. Jack Whiten, certainly not in the form he was last year. And you could Gosh. probably make the argument for about three or four other players who were playing really well at the back end of last year who have seemed to have dropped off the face of the earth. What's your read on all of that? There's definitely a, a, a bit of a form slump, but it's it's such um, a consistent trend across this across the side that you do wonder if there there are broader problems. Um, you know, like the way they've been dipping in the back end of games. I mean, granted, the the kind of rot started in that game against the Warriors, where you know, like they were they were basically down to one person on the bench after 15 minutes or something. But still, you know, they were leading that game with 20 points and just lost. And they allowed that that one. I, I suppose, kind of freak occurrence to become a habit when they weren't under the same sort of pressure uh, from the bench. And probably, you know, it's been a little concerning the way that's developed because it's kind of gone from, oh, you know, he just needs a rest this week and, you know, putting him down, um, you know, for another week to then, oh, actually, he just needs some time to freshen up and uh, get his head out of football. So, I mean, what, it's, it's kind of hard to see what's going on. You know, the, the whole side is struggling and one of your best forwards isn't interested in playing right now. I mean, we don't know what's going on, but, you know, he's not he's he's so disinterested he doesn't want to play. And the the rest of the team just kind of t- the rest of the team, sorry, um, just seem to fade at the back end of games in the in the sort of Canberra faders style of a few years back. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because obviously when Bateman left, it had, it left a giant hole and he claimed it was for homesickness. But I guess in the context of what we're seeing this year, I'm just wondering if there's actually something that's going on that's a little bit deeper there. Because um, that's the second player saying, sort of citing homesickness and the form slump of just too many key players for me sort of signals a bit of a red a red flag that there might be something deeper going on. Danny Wildler was um, saying the other day that, Ricky Stewart told him he was prepared to get on the bad side of players to get the performance back up. So maybe this is a calculated risk. Maybe he's deliberately getting some noses out of joint because he thinks they're too comfortable. I mean, this is a team that's sitting outside of the eight at the moment. I mean, to me, they were shooing for the top four, but they're so off that pace at the moment. They're actually legitimately in danger of not playing finals footy. I had them as contenders again this year. I think a lot of people did. And, um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lack of desire there. I mean, you know, the the teams that are, I think, really vying for those those top spots have been fighting tooth and nail, like right to the end of games. Like you you definitely see it with the Storm, Panthers absolutely. Like when they played each other, you know, the 79th minute they were they were falling over each other to stop tries. Whereas some of the tries you've seen the Raiders let in, like you know, the back end of games, mm. it was a bit like watching that. Um, titans broncos game where whenever they got within 20 meters of each other they all just backpedaled and, and it was a guaranteed try yeah. you know jared croker is this the end for him he seems to be someone that i know he's battled some injuries but he hasn't come up to the line of anywhere where he was two or three years ago can you see this being the end of the line for him was he anywhere two or three years ago i i have never ever rated jared croker for one minute of his career not at all to me, he's just a little bit worse than he's always been. He's he's a nothing player. He's always been a nothing player who's offered nothing. And if his career's over, well, I'm you know I feel sad for him. He seems like a nice bloke, but you know, I'm only sad as a fan of and not the Canberra Raiders that I don't get to come up against. You know, I don't, my players don't get to come up against him anymore. Mm. He always struggled positionally in defence, particularly on the goal line. He was one of those guys that would commit the crime of sliding right on their goal line and tackling the guy and they just fall over the line. Cause he's not a big body, right? Like 
he's someone that needs to actually come up and in and he sort of is guilty of backing off a little bit. Could he actually get his career back on track if he was to discard the white headgear? Is that the thing that's holding him back? I think the only thing that's going to save him now would be joining the Melbourne Storm and they're not dumb enough to take him. Did you say he's bad, right? But is that even in light of all of his point scoring records? I mean, this guy could potentially, if he was to fill out a career, say the similar duration to Cameron Smith, he would definitely be the top point scoring person of all time. Is it a harsh critique to say that he's shit if he's up there as number one? John Morris has played over 300 games. Numbers lie. It, it, that's just stat padding at its worst. Anyone, you know, he's the be- he may be the best goal kicker of all time. And that is, you know, that's up there for debate. And he's certainly a very good one. And playing out in the centres like he has, he's been on, been able to score plenty of tries in a team that's been at least decent most of his career. So, you know, he's gotten a lot of points and, you know, good luck to him. And those are, those are things he can be proud of, but it doesn't make him a particularly good player. The only people who've ever called for him to play Origin has been Canberra fans. No one else has. <laughs> and uh, Laurie Daly at one point, I believe. But uh, Xander, is that fair to call it stat padding when you're on a trajectory to become the comp's leading point scorer of all time? Yeah, I think uh, I think um, Mario has a point that that numbers can lie. But I think when you're on the on the verge of becoming a lead, the leading point scorer of all, all time, it, it does indicate that you know you're probably all right. I mean, it's not an easy competition to 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 get those sorts of records in. And when you look at the other people, you know, on those lists, they're they're not slouches. So no, I think he's just in a downward slump at the moment. But I think he's he you know Croker has been very good at times, right? You know, obviously for a very long period, he was he was he was just a, a an incredible player. So no, I think it's I think it's just symptomatic of the broader slump in the in the Raiders as a whole. Yeah, fair enough. Look, we will move on to uh, uh, the Mr. Nathan Ross. Now, I don't know if anyone saw this uh, article or even the podcast during the week, but uh, Nathan Ross, former Newcastle winger, obviously had some rather disparaging things to say about the club, uh, particularly their chief medical officer, Tony Ayub, and Nathan Brown, the former coach. Now, I believe it was on Barry Tui's Tui's News podcast that basically, gents, Nathan Ross claimed that he was forced to train so hard that his genitals went numb. Now, that happened to me once, but that's because the ring wouldn't come off and the whole area had to be drained. But you do expect a lot from rugby league players. You, you want them to push through the pain barrier, obviously, and, and play tough. But playing through literal numb nuts sounds like a bridge too far to be. What do you guys think? You know, i got to say, I mean... It's not like he's playing through a pain barrier, though, right? I mean, he can't feel it. Surely that makes it easier. <laughs> Just, you know. Wait a second. Wait, let's drill down into that, Xander. I want, I'm going to drill down into your claim that running is easier if your genitals are numb. Could you please discuss that a little bit more for me? Well, yeah. I mean, these, these, these are blokes with big thighs. Um, occasionally, there's going to be a little bit of friction there where you might catch a nut and probably hurt like hell, I imagine. I don't have thighs that big. Um, you know, or nuts that big, frankly, wouldn't it be easier if they were, they were numb and, you know, you couldn't feel it. Surely so, just, he'd be running smooth. So in your book, Xander, you're probably assuming that uh, guys like Usain Bolt had a local anesthetic in their penis before running the hundred. No, 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 not in the penis, mate. In the testicles. Okay. But surely multiples do the whole area, put a full block in there. No. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe do that. Probably, uh, probably get some strapping as well. 
you know, hold it all to the stomach. At one point in the podcast, Nathan Ross actually said that it felt like his stomach was falling through his anus because he was told by Nathan Brown and the chief medical officer, and you'd be aware of this, Mario, that he was just been a weak so-and-so and that he just needed to quote, in quote, run it off. Now, as I said before, rugby league, it's a tough man's game, Mario, but do you think Nathan Ross has a point here? If this is indeed true, and I, I actually believe him, what do you think that actually says about the world of rugby league? Do you think that means that we're too gladiatorial, that we expect too much from the players? Oh, look, I don't think we should cast all of rugby league with the same brush. I, I think there's certainly a culture of, oh, yeah, toughen up, princess, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's definitely, that's a thing that people say. Um, and I'm sure it does go on at the clubs to some degree. But I think the degree that he described, that just sounds rather excessive and I don't imagine there's too many coaches. You know, look at someone like, say, let's say Des Hasler that, you know, I have various opinions on, but that guy goes into bat for his players. I don't really imagine him saying, don't worry about your testicles dangling between your toenails, just toughen the fuck up and run over at your pussy. That whereas Nathan Brown, for example, is the type of coach who out on field will slap one of his players rather hard and, you know, humiliate them and potentially causing physical pain. So I think there's just different types of coaches. And Nathan Brown is certainly that more like maybe you'd say the Tommy Radonica style, the, the 1970s. Oh, you know, you've got, to, you've got to be tough. There's no such thing as pain. Just man up sort of garbage. It'd be weird, isn't it? Because he, Nathan Ross has quite the retort there, doesn't he? Because he could say, I'd love to, Brownie, uh, but I've just ripped my pubis muscle straight off my pelvis which is apparently what happened to him. He had multiple hernias. He tore his left and right groin. And yet he was told by Brownie that he was just being a weak cunt. Now, does that actually have some repercussions for him in the modern game? Because Nathan Brown has landed another gig. I know we're all shocked when it happened. Uh, the Warriors actually aren't going too badly over there, but he wasn't. He certainly wasn't a candidate that any of us were putting forward as the person to lead the New Zealand Warriors into their next, next successful chapter. Does that say a bit about him? I mean, as you said, I know he slapped a bunch of people for St. George Illawarra. He had some some moderate success in England. But I kind of feel like, especially where the game is in 2021 with player safety, that that kind of stuff is behind us. It's in the rear vision mirror. And I don't think it's going to get the best performance out of their players. So much of this comp is so clearly run by dinosaurs. The sort of people like the Gus Goulds of the world, like the Peter Valandises of the world who think that, oh, look, we've got a half a billion dollar um, online uh, presence. Let's basically hand that to Channel 9 for free. The sort of people who think, oh, no, we've got to, let's go back to suburban grounds so that we can get the crowds up. As if crowds matter even the slightest bit in rugby league when it's such a high rating sport. All the money comes from TV. Money from from crowds is sweet fuck all in the grand scheme of things. So they should not be at all caring about how many people are at, the, at the game. But that's the sort of people that are running it. That it's all about. Oh, let's take it back to the eighties. We've got to we've got to be tougher. We've got to be tired. We've got to you know everything they do is about bringing the game back to when it was great, even though it was great already and it you know it wasn't so great in the 80s when there was 12 people turning up to games make the nrl great again xander do you, do you agree with mario there about crowds it's something viscerally no, no i understand it 
commercially most of the dollars come from broadcast that that much is is clear but i would have thought in terms of you know making people love the game that turning out to physically watch them from time to time is actually an important factor isn't it mario's right and so far as the the money does come from uh, tv ratings but um having a compelling game day experience is part of the the product as a whole and it does generate hype as you say, it also helps with your junior pathways as well. If you're able to develop an experience that particularly young kids can go to and, and become enamored of the next generation of superstars, being there in person just just makes such a big difference. And the other thing I'd also add is that there's actually research to show that um, a good uh, stadium crowd has a positive impact. Weirdly, uh, you would think it would be the other way on TV ratings um, because it makes the game look more important yeah. if there is more people there and people flicking past they reckon are more likely to stay watching because it looks like a big deal if it's a full stadium whereas if there are 12 people you look it feels like you're watching a reserve grade uh, game and people are more likely to tune out now zach Sini made his debut for the west tigers on the weekend guys he's already become a cult hero for the tigers because he scored in his debut game but i think the real reason was because of his distinctive hair because for me, he played well, you know, solidly. Uh, he brought he brought a big fan base with him. A whole section of the crowd was going ape shit when he scored. But the, as I said, the real buzz seems to be around his hair. A sort of a urine-soaked-looking mullet is probably the best way of describing it. Now, my first question here to the potty is, is it fair that a player gets so much attention because of his hair? It almost feels like hair racism. Well, as, as someone who whose hair is certainly not on the top of my head where it belongs, I say it's very unfair. We should basically kick him out of the competition right now. As someone, as you said, who's a bit follically challenged, Mario, are you telling me that you get a bit irate when it comes to people with extravagant hairstyles? Lol. Not actually. I don't give the slightest shit about his hairstyle. I don't care about Gutho's hairstyle. I care about them if they seem like a dickhead, then I'll call him a dickhead. If they seem like a decent fella, then I'll call him a decent fella. So nah, he actually doesn't bother me. So I'm going to hold you to this. Are you saying that there is no hairstyle that can aggravate you? I really didn't like the whole, like Jack DeBellin, the whole urban samurai sort of thing happening where they take the man bun and make it even worse. But at the same time, I still don't actually care. I hate Jack DeBellin for being what we what, what you know what the jury is currently deciding whether or not he is at the moment but i don't actually care about the other stuff whatever mm. okay i'll put it to you this is a mythical hairstyle it may not even exist but it could i don't know but what if someone created sort of cornrows uh but in a swastika in a sort of ode to white supremacy would you hate the hairstyle then well then it wouldn't be more about the hairstyle it would be about the message that you know the the message in that hairstyle that's a little different mm. if it, you know you can if it was a, a cornrows that somehow spelled out the bangles i'd say well <laughs> they had one or two good hits but i'm not particularly impressed by them as a band overall i don't know if i want my hair to read them. Yeah, wow so. what a reference <laughs> what an obscure reference i hope it exists mate for what it's worth xander <laughs> in this case then um in terms of the messaging of a hairstyle that mario is sort of claiming uh what is the hairstyle of angus Crichton saying to the world that he wants to rape and pillage the new world yeah, there's a little bit of that kind of marauding Mongolian about it, isn't it? Do you think that's what he's going for? No, I, I, I see. I always thought it was more Spanish conquistador, you know, um, 
basically uh, uh, annihilating the Aztec cultures. But yeah, there's there's definitely a touch of that. That was immediately the the, the image that came to my mind. He, he he just it just looked 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 very imperial Spain to me. I love it. And Mario, out of interest, did you coin that term urban samurai? Because I want to use it if it's not copyrighted. It's not copyrighted, but no, I definitely didn't didn't coin it. I mean, the first time I heard it was from This Week in League. Someone else may have coined it first. I don't recall now. Well, congratulations to whoever it was, because that certainly aptly describes what it was. Now, we're going to push on, though. Sam Walker, guys, he impresses again. I think in the first couple of weeks, there was plenty of people saying, you know, well played, you know, he's had a few good games. There's a bit of flukiness to it. But I think, Xander, there's enough games under the belt at this stage to suggest that Sam Walker is indeed uh, a long-term prospect for the Roosters, isn't he? I mean, he's playing with some kind of crazy level of confidence for a kid that's come into a system filled with quite a few superstars, and yet he's prepared to go out there, call the shots as an 18-year-old. He's got the the body of a prepubescent boy, and yet he's playing bloody good football, isn't he? Oh, he's been amazing. Like, I mean, some of the stuff he's been done, uh, been doing, you know, the, the tries he was setting up, he had five try assists against the Knights, scored on himself, right? Like, um, it was it was just in, incredible what he was, what he's been able to do in the first five weeks as a whole. But what, what's been, you know, I, I think most enjoyable about the whole thing is he's just the antithesis to a, a programmed game plan half. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. That, that try that he set up for Morris where he made the break and almost got to the line and then pulled out of the tackle and then kicked past a cross field in that position with that context of the game. Like, yeah. you know, that was, that, that, that is, you know, that like that is playing what's in front of you, like to a T. That, that was the best um, thing he did all game, in my opinion. That, that one move more than anything else he did in the game showed that he could indeed have what it takes to be something special. Just the ability, as you said, to just play what's in front of him and to see that where not, I think there's just not enough players. I think Cam Munster is the most obvious current player that I would say plays that way where he sees things quicker than other players. And Sam Walker did show that in that one play. He's got to do it more often, but that did impress me. Look, I, he's I actually, doing it. He's doing it very often, though. Like, I mean, you know, the 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 cutout passes that he's putting on, like his kicking game. You know, there was a few like clever little banana kicks he put in as well. Like, you know, he's 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 playing a very instinctive and just has the ball in a string. I think you guys have both touched on something that I want to talk about, and I think you're both right. This idea of playing what's in front of him and the natural game, and and Xander, you mentioned him being the antithesis of the structured halfback. I I couldn't agree more. And I think that actually says more about the Roosters club and, and some clubs that play too structured than it even it does about Sam Walker, because I don't know if you guys caught his post-match interview. Yeah, no, I did. I did take note of that. That was, um, that was very telling. Yeah. Where he basically said, look, the only reason that I'm, I feel confident enough to play what's in front of me is because you know, the club has sort of agreed that instead of him adapting to their structures and around this club of superstars, they're actually backing him and saying, we actually think you've got great instincts and we're going to try to meld around you. Now, that's something that's fairly uncommon, I believe. Uh, I don't think there actually are too many clubs that think that way. I do think things people like Wayne Bennett, for all the shit that we give him, I think he thinks that way. And I think that's a reason he's so mm-hmm. successful is because he understands the individual strengths 
of of his roster and and he actually builds battle plans around that and then of course you know i berate him every week but he is the typical prototype example madge mcguire who who has a template in his head and and wants his team to play to that template and i think guy like luke brooks he's the ultimate victim of a madge mcguire structure i know that he's he's had a few tenures but at the moment he just looks like a halfback who doesn't understand the plan that's been given to him and is forgotten how to play the way he wants to play. Because I don't know if you remember, you know, the debut game for Luke Brooks and even his first year, his first game was fantastic because he was playing a little bit of a Sam Walker-esque type game. He was, you know, there were chips over the top, something that he doesn't do at all anymore. And I do wonder if this Sam Walker phenomenon, Mario, has more to do with the club mentality than it does individual talent. I don't know what your take on that is. From everything I've I've heard, um, I think it was the start of last year when I was talking to Chris Walker uh, about Sam. He was talking to a, a large group of people and then I had a, the opportunity to chat to him briefly one-on-one and he was just talking about Sam and he was saying that, yeah, look, I'm extremely biased and, you know, you'd have to, but everything, I, everyone I've spoken to has said, wow, this kid's special. He He plays a style that there's just not enough of in rugby league and he, just he just he just owns the game any game he's in now granted at young in younger levels that's pretty easy to do but i heard similar things from various people that weren't related to him as well who just, who were all saying the similar sort of things about him and he just has walked into the comp and just immediately done that and as you said there's not there's not the whole point of structures in my opinion structures should be for the forwards structures should be for you know, for certain plays, you know, you 80% of your game or 90% of your game even should be about your structure and this, those, getting those structures right put you in the position to play without those structures when the time comes. And yeah. I think the good coaches, the Bellamy's and the Robbo's and the Bennett's understand that. And that's why watching a Bellamy, a Bellamy coach team in the last few years has been so exciting, even when you hate them as much as I do, or watching a Robbo t- coach team, they're, they're always interesting to watch. You never know what's about to happen because, yeah, they've got the structures, but their structures are slick. Their structures aren't just one-out garbage like the Bulldogs and the Sharks and, and I hate to admit, Manly have often been playing. Their structures have got people moving in every direction, but every one of those players knows what every other one of those players is doing and the other team doesn't. And that allows their their players like your Luke Carey's and like your Cody Walker's and like your Cameron Munsters to do that sort of thing that just looks so good. And, you know, you've got to have all the right players in place. You guys have just lost Verrills again, which is an absolute bastard of a thing. So that's going to make it harder for you when you look at the storm. We've got Harry Grant and Cam Munster who both have that sort of ability. Look, I agree. I, I think that structures are there as a base, in my opinion. They're there as, you know, if, if it was like a pizza base, you know, you need the base for it to have a pizza. So you, you create that. There's something you can work on. You get your hardworking players in particular, as you said, mainly your forwards, to understand scenario A, B, and C, you know, this is where I need you to be, and these are the kind of players we run. But there has to be latitude for the genuine playmakers to have a feel for the game and actually play what's in front of them. That's why that's why they're special players because they've got the ability to read what's happening in defense. You know, from a broader perspective, it's just great for rugby league and great for the NRL, isn't it? To have new breath in it with from the likes of Sam Walker, 
who are actually playing a more entertaining style. I think it's just better to watch. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I mean, for all the shit we're, we're giving Volandis about the, the new rules, I mean, the, the speeding up of the game does open it up a little bit more to, to guys who do weigh 40 kilos like Sam Walker to be able to to be able to, you know, play that sort of instinctive style. And, and just on on the, the point about structure, I, I remember hearing uh, Robinson talk about this a while ago, but he, he talked about the difference between um, structure and principles. And he was, you know, felt that um, having a principles based, uh, appro- like based approach to, to play was, um, you know, in a certain sense, the more important thing. So, you know, you have a uh, a series of guiding, you know, I suppose, goals that you you set for your players, and you don't over-engineer it. You give them you give them core tasks to focus on, um, but you give them freedom within that. So it's not so much about you know trying to lay lay down rigid lanes that they always have to follow. It's about it's about letting them know where the goal is and giving them the freedom to get there. Yeah, I love that. And as he said, he often sums it up by saying, "Play the rooster's way." which is clearly a, I guess, a summary of all what you've just said. It's this combining of that principal aspect. Mario, just a quick question to finish up on Sam Walker. Do you think he will even be better when his balls drop? <laughs> I don't know what I can say to that one. <laughs> so He's in, a- that, in that case, we'll move on. Only until they're numb, right? <laughs> Apparently <laughs> so. Don't let Brownie near him. That's for sure. Uh Brett, we can't. We have to touch on it. Brett Morris, uh, a pretty horrific injury that could well oh, we be the end to? of his career. Oh. Look, we we won't we won't linger on it, Mario. Um, but look, from a Roosters fan, and I, I don't know if you can agree with these, Ed, but uh, you know that was particularly tragic because it just felt as though this man who has had such a great career was ready to finish off in style. He was playing almost career best form. Yeah, mate. It. it it hurt watching it like on so many levels and like I was I was in such a state of denial for so long I'm still in denial about it like I'm still hoping that somehow we can make a miraculous discovery I'm basically Homer in that scene in the Simpsons where the pig's flying through the air and he's going you know it's just a little muddy it's still good (laughs) like it's I I just keep hoping it gets hope (laughs) well listeners wouldn't know this but uh Xander and I were texting back and forth during that moment and uh, you know, it is at a time where Brett Morris is on the ground, writhing in agony. He's gone for the green whistle, and Xander's confidently telling me by text, "Look, it might not be that bad. He could be back." And I remember thinking, <laughs> "That is that. That is the kind of denial that I just love in a Roosters fan. Just a, a pig, oh, just... a pig-headed ignorance to look facts in the face. I love you for it, Xander. <laughs> just, I just couldn't. I was. I mean, like to be fair, I didn't have um the sound on at the at, at the at the time, so I couldn't actually hear. And I was just like. I was just hoping, hoping against hope that that it, you know, because as you say, he's just been absolutely exhilarating to watch for for pretty well the entire time he's been at the Roosters, right? I mean, you know, he he, um, he joined us in squad. I think, yeah, I mean, his entire career. But he, he, as you said, he's been in career best form since joining us. Like, I mean, he's brought so much to the team, and yeah, just um, it it was visceral. I think the response is probably a fair way to put yeah. it. Mario, this is an interesting one. Obviously, he never played for the Maroon and White, but um, you know, most of the rugby league community just seems to be one of these players. The the Morris twins do that. Most of the rugby league community seem to enjoy and like and respect. That's a rare commodity, right? Because you know, it's a very tribal game, and we tend to hate anyone that hasn't played for our club. Um, now, you may not like him, and that, I don't know your your opinion on it. But I want to firstly ask you: 
your thoughts on the injury and also in terms of rating wingers, in terms of being the best of all time in, in the time you've watched the game, where is Brett Morris in there for you? Number one. Really? Okay, that was quick. Yep, so, is that I, I, I was trying to name, I mean, Manly have not had a whole bunch of good wingers in the time I've watched them. I, I was going through trying to name my all-time favourite Manly 17 the other day for mm. something. and Was Andrew Frew in there? No, he didn't quite make it. What about uh, Brett Torrens? Yeah, do you mean Albert Torrens? Yeah, Albert Torrens. He <laughs> wasn't that bad. He was all right, Albert Torrens. I didn't mind him. But anyway, the point was we haven't had a whole lot of great wingers. And then I thought about it. Wingers for a long time, I think maybe back before our time, they were they, they got a bit more. I just don't think there's been that many wingers that have stood out uh, that have been that amazing. You look at someone like Alex Johnson. He's one of the best wingers in the game and may well he's certainly the only chance we've got now of beating ken irvine's record because i thought brett morris might have gotten there first um but i mean brett as you say he was probably in career best form he he wasn't just doing the darius boyd style tries he was creating them himself and then passing back on the inside for other people or stuff he'd done he was he was turning all your half chances into absolute gimme tries he was absolutely amazing one of my one of, certainly my favourite winger that I've ever watched, like the one that I always cheered for every game he played except against us. That was about the only time I ever wasn't cheering for him. I just always liked him as a person, always liked everything he offered on the field. And when he, the moment that injury happened the other day, I'm pretty sure I, I was actually crying a little bit because I instant my instant thought was his career's over. This yeah. is fucking bullshit. Why does Dylan Walker get to play again this year? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, mate, and I'm not too proud to admit this, but uh, I did get a bit emotional actually watching it. I don't know if it's all the hormones around having a child for the first time. I feel like I'm having synthy hormones uh, with my wife. But <laughs> I watched that and I just thought, like, what a, almost a Greek tragedy in terms of this person coming to the end of a great career and having it taken away from him. And to your point about, I think he's the best winger you've ever seen. I, I mean, I think that there might've been, or there is more naturally talented uh, wingers than someone like Brett Morris. I think of a guy like Josh Adokar, for example, who is just an out and out athlete and has all the flick passes and, and his, all those kind of things. But I just think for sheer effectiveness and tenaciousness, Brett Morris is the best for me as well. So it's a fair point um, that you make in terms of, you know, uh, players who are more physically gifted. Like, I mean, people talk about the way Wendell Saylor and Lottie Dekiri changed the way wingers played, but, you know, a lot of that was about power and, you know, the way that the roles of wing- wingers have become almost like a second for- or second set of forwards. But what stands out most about, um, you know, both both of the Morris brothers, but B-Miles in particular, is just the way he's able to find the line, you know, when he he has no right to. Like he's he's a player that manages to score tries that um, you know bigger, stronger, more talented players still might not find a way to, but he he just has that had that incredible knack of either finding the line himself or making sure somebody else did. Wendell could find a white line. <laughs> Wendell Wendell <laughs> certainly could. And I got to, I guess Wendell's got to be in the conversation as well for best wingers of all time, though. Yeah, but he left the con. Yeah, just in terms of. Yeah, and he and he came when he came back. He wasn't, you know, quite as effective. Right? I mean, he was good, but um, yeah. Um, he he did. I always thought of, him and Lo- 
sorry to cut you off, Xander. I did feel like Wendell was one of these guys that did revolutionise the position, though. I mean, maybe the second coming yeah, no, of Eric Growth Senior, but just the giant body who's effectively a front row forward frame, but just running like a freight train. Um, before that, it wasn't quite the mode, but now every club sort of tried mm. to seek that kind of body. And But we talk about Brett Morris. He's not exactly that, is he? But he's just no. so, so passionate and he, and he, he never gives a dud effort. Yeah, no, and incredibly acrobatic for a guy with his frame. Like, yeah, I mean, true. some of the like some of the freakish tries that he scored. You know, being able like the positions he put his body into. You, you know, they they they're not like they they don't look like guys who have any right to be able to do the kinds of things that they do. But you know, they 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 will um you know like they they put in efforts where they fly over the the side of the the, uh, the goalpost and just have one arm out there just making the uh, over the try line in just a, a, a millimeter inside the touchline that sort of stuff mm. like they got when they changed the rules around the the um, corner post like they were a couple of the best proponents at it really early Xander do you think that in honor of Brett that his brother Josh should lose the beer belly and sort of try to honor him that way yeah <laughs> Um, no, I think it looks good on him, mate. You know, he wears it he, well. He, he? he really, he, you know, and he can he can be enough he can be enough Morris for the two of them. He certainly is. There have been games where I feel like he may have swallowed Brett. That's how much how many kgs he's put on. But um, Godspeed, Brett Morris. I do hope one day you return to the game. And uh, for what it's worth, I loved watching you play, mate. Uh, and you're one of the reasons I watch rugby league. So I think in honour of we haven't Brett given up hope. He's still coming back, man. I'm telling you. In honor of Brett Morris, all Roosters players this weekend should tuck their necks down so that they look like they have no necks. That would be the right way to honor Brett Morris. Well, I've been working on that for years just with my natural fatty diet. So, uh, but I will do it. I'll do extra, extra strength this weekend. So, does this mean when when, uh, DCE retires that, you know, the whole of Manly, assuming he's still there, um, we'll all have to get like uh, neck extensions, you know, get like those rings that you see in certain tribes in Afri- Africa. I think it's only fair, and we should definitely invite Jordan Silk to come and play one game for our team, in, you know, and that people wouldn't even realize that it wasn't DCE playing. Has anyone ever seen DCE Jordan Silk in the same place at the same time? They could be the same person. I think it's likely. So do I. So do I. Anyway, on that uh, sort of obscure. 2020 big bash notes let's talk about some proposed ideas guys now for the competition in terms of its structure now i'm not across any of this so i'm going to be completely forthright that um you know my wife giving birth to my first child has certainly uh, occupied a fair bit of my mental space so i'm going to be sort of relying on you guys a little bit heavily here but from from what i understand there's been a few conference system style ideas put forward in the last week as well as a promotion relegation model i might start with you Xander. can you explain to the listeners um, how the new proposed conference system might work uh well it's it's pretty straightforward basically i mean we've discussed this before but not this particular model but they want to group all the sydney clubs into one conference um and uh, then uh, take everyone outside of sydney which would include canberra and newcastle and put them in an outside of sydney conference and then make it effectively a nine uh, oh, sorry an eight v an eight v eight split where you get um the two additional sides by adding brisbane two and then either new zealand or perth to be the outside of sydney conference so it would mean that they would have separate final systems and the way that they've, they've kind of sold it is that well 
you have a, a self-contained conference finals um, series that will give you a conference champion in the same way that, you know, uh, the NFL works. So you'd have a Sydney conference champion, which would effectively have its own grand final. Um, and then you would have, you know, an out of Sydney conference championship, which, you know, the, then they would play effectively like a Super Bowl style game against each other whilst they're selling it as, as sort of like an AFC type, you know, the NFC type thing like they have with the NFL in the US. It's not, you know, it's not that. I mean, we, we still have, we effectively have a version of this already where most of the uh, the teams with good rivalries play each other twice anyway. And this is what this conference system is effectively designed to do is that, you know, you play everyone in your conference home and away, and then you play the teams outside of the conference, you know, just once. Uh, throughout the year. Now, um, correct me if so, I'm wrong, but is this essentially a framework that is designed to lay the foundations for future expansion? I mean, is that the primary motivation here, apart from, say, as you said, having local rivalries and the interest? No way. Okay, so, w- w- so what is the motivation? It's more then? than just that. It's no, more well, than okay. just that. The other, the okay, other well, thing give is- me the Give me the primary motivation then. Why do this? What is the number one reason we should do move to a conference system over and above what we have at the moment? I can tell you. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you jump in, but, um, you know, it, it's the idea is creating more products for the game to sell. So you have two conference grand finals there. You can pitch them as bigger TV events. Um, and then at the same, and then if you have a Super Bowl sort of style uh, grand final, you can make that a, a traveling um, event that uh, you can uh, allow cities to bid for. Um, and the idea is you just get, you'll get more local uh, rivalries and a quasi uh, two, three instead of one grand finals is, is the is the argument. But of course, you know, mo- everyone will know that those grand finals, quote unquote, for the conference is really just prelim finals. What it really is, the actual intent is just to make it to make all Sydney teams survive again and for it to become more Sydney-centric in the eyes of the Sydney-based media. That's why they're making up this utter garbage. And who the fuck wants the idea of the two best teams may well be South and the Roosters and, oh, bad luck, you guys can never actually meet in a real grand final again. Manly can never play Parramatta in a real grand final. The Storm can't play Brisbane in a real grand final, even if they might happen to be the two best teams. It is ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. We've talked about it before. If you must have conferences, split Sydney down the middle or something like that so that at least it's fair. The idea that someone, I saw someone did the calculations on travel and the out, like the, was it the Warriors and the Raiders and people like that would have to do some insane amount of kilometers compared to Sydney teams in a year. Mm. We'd have to do sweet fuck all and mostly having effectively home games if they're all just playing in Sydney. It's not But Mario, wouldn't they all be in the same boat though? That second conference? I'm assuming that they'd all be traveling a fair amount of kilometers if they'd all be facing the same hurdle, wouldn't they? Yeah, but so it's unfair to those to that division the entire season. There's the whole season they're going to be more tired, more disadvantaged. Come the end of the year, how how much you've travelled? If you've travelled three or four times as much as anyone else, that surely can take a toll on your players and therefore put them at a disadvantage, mm. thus giving an advantage to the Sydney Bay. Yeah, they're. There is an argument that this is already happening, though, because the, and that's kind of part of the knock on the conference idea is that you know we've got effectively a version of this where the way we schedule the competition anyway it just isn't called a conference system and there isn't you know this this whole setup of uh like separated out final series um like the warriors and uh, you know during normal times and the cowboys 
will have to, by necessity, just travel a crap ton more than any Sydney team because by the way that the competition is designed, the Sydney teams will play each other, uh, each other twice, generally speaking, anyway. And there's no local side for a Cowboys or a, a Warriors or a Melbourne to really play in, with any great regularity. That means that they don't have to travel. So the, the travel issue, you know, the, there's a fair argument that it's it's not as big a deal, um, but you know, the question is, are they really just dressing up what's already there? And as you say, uh, eliminating the chance to, to have what would be an incredibly tribal local grand final. So I think if you were to do conferences, I think you, you almost need to make the conferences open to change every year. Like, you know, you, you, you come up with a criteria of how you're going to split the conferences based on performance or ladder position or something. I don't know. But you, you make it so that it's not just fixed, but uh, on geographic lo location, uh, that it's it's some other criteria, and, and then maybe it makes a bit more sense. Well, Xander, this is well, my pragmatic. Like whole... Sorry, go for it, Mario. Sorry, they sorry they like the whole promotion relegation idea that they keep talking about. So why not adapt it slightly? So I think I said to you guys in a group chat, what 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 if it was the conference was the top eight, and the other conference was the bottom eight from the year before, and then. You've got to try and work your way out of that bottom eight, so that say the top five of the of the those eight go through, and the bottom and the top three. Are <laughs> Wait a second. Something. I, the, not, the, that, that's I'm, not a conference. That's that's promotional relegation. Like, as if if you made that a conference system, then you then you'd have, um, no, no, you know, no, two. No, but I'm not saying it's promotion relegation because you still play those teams in the you know throughout the year, so it's not the same as a promotion relegation, but it does. It, it, it means Jesus Christ, that Super Bowl would be a fucking blowout, though, wouldn't it? Like, I mean, you have the, the best oh, of the bottom eight in the, in the Super Bowl playing. Yeah. But why? Because the fact is, right now, that a team that finished in the bottom eight last year could just as easily be very, very good this year. And so if they're the best of the bottom eight, they could be just as good as the team that's the best of the top eight from last year. Because, you know, Canberra Raiders made a prelim last year Let's, let's be real. They're not looking like making anything this year. So they would be one of those teams from the top eight of last year to miss out. And yeah. one of the teams from the bottom might be someone like Manly or someone like the Titans, if they come good as well. You know, they could be one of the ones that are threatening the top. But Murray, you'd have to concede that there isn't a great deal of churn in terms of who the dominant clubs have been over the last five years. There are obviously outliers in all of these equations, but by and large, the dominant clubs have remained the dominant clubs in the last five years, haven't they? So... Oh, look, you know, that would be problem. That would be problematic to have like a. I'm not. I'm not saying I actually like this idea. I'm just since they're so desperate to have a conference system. You're just, just proposing uh, it. Yeah, I'm just throwing up a, a, something that might be less shit than yeah. their options. So that's all. great. You, the, the way the only thing, the only thing I like about the conference system is that we get we cut the season from 25 games down to 22 because you play your own conference 14 times total and the other conference eight times, which gives us an extra three weeks to throw in, you know, a proper origin period with some, you know, tests and stuff and have a proper representative period or maybe two representative periods in they have two, three week breaks, something along those lines. That's about the only positive of a conference system, in my opinion, really the rest. Otherwise just it's okay. How it is. I like that. It's completely open and that any result is possible. Xander, you know, Mario so mentioned before that, you know, this is a bit of a Sydney media beat up and it's all about, you know, trying to further the agendas of Sydney based teams. But it, it, it seems as though this has definitely been discussed at the top echelons of the NRL. This is 
not just Buzz Rothfield paper talk, although he's put forward his own quasi weird ideas himself. Um, it looks as though this is actually something that is legitimately being discussed and might come in in the future. And I, my pragmatic brain just comes back to this. I want to know if we're going to do something like this, what are the some benefits? I still haven't heard anything particularly compelling. For example, you mentioned that, you know, if it was a, a type of Super Bowl situation, you can shop that around and people could bid for it, which sounds great in theory. But of course, my brain thinks, well, what's the difference between that and a grand final? Why can't we shop around our GF at the moment? Like, what are we getting above and beyond what we've got at the moment? We're already looking at we're on an expansion footing. That looks as though it's going to happen. Why move to a conference system? It doesn't seem to be a necessary ingredient to expand the competition for mine. I don't think it's a Sydney media beat up, as Mario put it, but uh, I, I think it's it's all um, a little bit an exercise in, 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 in dressing up, uh, as you say, products we already have and trying to give them, you know, I mean, there's, there's a touch of Blurns ball about it, right? Like, mm. and I hate to keep going to these, um, these Simpsons of Futurama references, but there's a, there's a sense of, you know, just renaming things and making them look a little bit fancier. Um, and, you know, the, the conference finals are going to be prelim finals. No one's going to be fooled that they're not. It's just that, you know, you're closing one part of the competition off from the other and, and, uh, and making them decide, you know, like fixing effectively the pathway to the grand final in a certain sense. The Sydney media aspect of this isn't isn't the conference competition. Though. I mean, I think that is that is genuinely um, a an attempt to try and create more financial products for the game to sell to broadcasters and make it a little bit easier to uh, expand um, with uh, with new, new teams. Give them an excuse effectively to bring in Brisbane too, and then also maybe Perth or or, or New Zealand. Um, you know, mind you, I, th- I think they can still do that anyway, uh, to your point. But the, the Sydney media piece that um, you're referring to really is more what Buzz Rothfield pr- uh, proposed, and that is a promotion relegation system where he's proposed a 14-team <clears throat> a Sydney competition and a 10-team championship rele- relegation league that would include, you know, Things like your new your new sides out of say Wellington and uh, Perth plus the Central Coast Bears, and he wants to bring back the Jets and mm. uh, you know I don't know the Dirty Reds or something. That is the one that um, wants to bring back the romance of the old Sydney competition. Yeah. It's well, a promotion look, relegation system. Let's interrogate Buzz's relegation system in a moment. I'm still stuck on the virtues of a conference system because I think that's actually been discussed. I think Buzz Rothfield's article is just something he made up on the day that he thought was a good idea. I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen, but the virtues. No, we talk no, about, I don't think it is either. I mean, for example, and I'm only theorizing this is part of this conference system about making sure that, you know, we give a better chance of having, a, a, I guess, a team outside of Sydney in the, in the GF. That has to happen by definition under the model that's been proposed, but that would actually tie into wanting to broaden, broaden the base of rugby league. Wouldn't it like, having those teams outside of Sydney automatically get into the, the big dance. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that's right. Like, I mean, I don't think that they view it as a negative in the NRL to not have an all Sydney grand final, because when broadcasters get an all Sydney grand final, whilst it's great for, uh, you know, Olympic park, um, because they're going to get a, a, just a heaving atmosphere. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not great for the TV ratings, right? You just don't have uh, the same level of interest say as if you were to have uh you know brisbane uh playing i don't know if, if the broncos play canberra it's probably going to be a little bit more interesting to a lot of people because everyone in sydney is still going to watch it right um but uh it's hard to get 
uh, people in other parts of the country to care so much if it's just all Sydney. Yeah. So that that's the conference system. But of course, we, you know, as we've mentioned before, Buzz Rothfield himself has put forward some rather interesting ideas. And Mario, I know you're not necessarily a giant fan of it. Can you give me your thoughts on what he's proposed? The big thing that jumped out to me, I didn't mind necessarily his proposal of promotion relegation. I don't think it's ever going to work in Australia. I think give up on it. But in theory, well, you know, it had its merits. I definitely enjoyed seeing him put the Tigers and the Bulldogs just automatically relegating them. That did tickle my funny bone a little bit. <laughs> but the bit that really got me was him putting forward a team called New South Wales Country. Now, I, don't, I live in New South Wales Country, so people in the cities don't seem to understand it's a pretty big place and it's kind of spread out. The idea that some kid who lives in Tweed Heads wants to go play for New South Wales country if they're based in what? Wagga Wagga? Why the fuck do you want to leave a country area to go somewhere worse? You don't. You, you want to... Now, now Mario, leave... Mario, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to cut you off here, but are you telling me <laughs> that the idea first floated by the Australian Rugby Championship isn't a smart one? Uh, shockingly, shockingly. I apologise if I've offended anyone with this outlandish statement of mine. Like the, the idea, so where would a New South Wales country team be based? Would it have multiple bases? Because n- none of these so. places have big enough stadiums. Yeah, I think, so that's, I think to, that's what so Buzz is thinking. I think he's thinking multiple okay, so, bases and play games throughout the year, home games, across a number of big regional hubs. Okay, well, so Scully Park in Tamworth, let's say. It's a pretty big regional hub, 50,000 population of Tamworth. So let's say it's one of the bases. That stadium holds 10, 12,000 people. They want, they're talking about being desperate to get crowd numbers up. Then where are they getting crowds of 30,000 people if there's only a 10,000 stadium? And who's watching the second division in the first place? I, I do acknowledge that a New South Wales country team over time might be reasonably well followed. Everyone who lives in the country would have it as their second team, but no one's having it as their first team. And what happens if they win the comp? Do, are we going to have an NRL team called New South Wales country that no one really goes for because it's it doesn't represent anything really? I, I, live, I live in New South Wales country. I don't feel like I and one with people from Wagga Wagga or Albury or Mudgee, I think, cool, those are places, but they don't mean anything to me. My region where I live has meaning to me. So if there's a new... Can, England, I, can I just sure. say, can if, if this idea does get up, can the, uh, the tagline for the bid be, cool, those are places? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, eh? Because who's going to give a fuck? A kid's going to grow up dreaming of playing for New South Wales country. And what's their what's their um, recruitment strategy? Are they, if they're in the NRL or even if they're in the second division, are they just like any other team and they're trying to sign the, you know, the Ash Taylors of the world who've been rejected? Are they trying to sign Aiden Caesar? Are they trying to sign Josh Morris in two years' time when he still wants to play or Benji Marshall? Or are they exclusively trying to take people from New South Wales country areas? Because then that might make some sense because it's bringing up the country and and helping the bush footy and all that sort of stuff, which is obviously what he was talking about it doing. But does it actually help them? And God help us if they ever made the top grade, then the, the NRL would just be going, oh, fuck, what do we do now? Mario, are you somewhat underselling 
the camaraderie you think that exists within country and regional areas and being that sort of counterweight to city and urban Australia, because, you know, my experience of the country, obviously I've married a country girl. I, I love going to towns and exploring different places in Australia. And the attitude I always get is, you know, we're not particularly fond of city people. So I try not to pretend I am one because I am a city slicker from way back. I do wonder if we are underselling that country. kind of, I guess that group <laughs> monolith camaraderie that it does exist with country Australia, this sort of bit of this us and them mentality. Maybe there is something there to be tapped into. I mean, I think I take your point about where you're, where you're situated in New South Wales being vastly different, you know, to Bathurst or, uh, you know, Scone or something else. But I think there is still a trope in Australia of, you know, going bush. It's not going to a particular area to go bush is to get out of the city or to go country. Maybe there is something in that. I'm not sure. Now, let me tell you, people where I live, if there's one thing we hate more than city folks or <laughs> Queenslanders or those bloody Mexicans that build the wall already, it's people from Gyra. <laughs> <laughs> and they're one of our closest neighbors and we hate them and we hate people from Gleninus too they're it's your scum. shelbyville basically uh, we, they're, they're our near neighbors and we hate them so yeah. why the hell are we gonna what, what camaraderie are we gonna have in new south wales country we're gonna hate half the people there i'd rather bloody support the titans but would you not come together mario if it meant you know in a war against city folk uh, you had to come together yeah, in it's a, called um, city war. country mate it's all city country. We have it. <laughs> we, well, maybe we would, but then we, and then we go, we go just bash each other after the game because that's just how it is. I, I wanted to just point out a bit of a flaw. Like you said, you said, Eamon, that um, you know your wife is a country girl. She supports the fucking Melbourne Storm, mate. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like if if there's an anti-city slickers uh, issue here, then you know. There are certain things that aren't computing for me. We're really peeking behind the curtain in this episode, aren't we? <laughs> Just saying, like, there is no there is no wankier city in Australia than Melbourne. Facts. <laughs> We've, he's speechless. We've broken him. I think I think we've broken Eamon. <laughs> Either that oh. or his text down, I don't know. Yeah, we need we need a new host that we just continue on without him. So, listeners, it's been another wonderful episode of Voluntary Tackle. I'm just wondering, are you guys fucking with me, or can you not hear me? We, no, no, we, we couldn't hear you. Oh wow, I thought we, you were just we, fucking with me. We can now. I've been no, talking we can the now, whole time. We couldn't okay. hear you. All right, sorry All right. about that. <laughs> no, well, I'll let me just restate what I just said. Yes, Zandy, you're right. There is certainly a, a major flaw with my wife that I've been working on. Um, over the last several years. And I, I don't like the fact she's a Melbourne Storm fan. And it particularly more so now that we have a child because, you know, there has been murmurs around the house that she is looking to convert him to be a Storm fan. Now, I've already bought him the Roosters onesie, which I think is is a, a good first step in trying to convert him to the Tricolors cult. But yeah, I, I mean, think I think Mario's point, just getting back to the the, the issue at hand, is he's, he's 100% right. Is You know, this, this idea of... Oh, We'll just have a team for the country. They're all the same, aren't they? There's almost a city slicker arrogance in that assumption. And I think, you know, I, like, I mean, I know you guys hate me bringing it up, but, you know, this is a mistake that Rugby Union have made and is on the record because they they created the New South Wales Country Eagles 
in uh, their national rugby championship, which has been so successful that you don't even know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, you've referenced yeah, but, Super but, Rugby but, but, before. To be fair, the moment, <laughs> but, the moment you bring up you rugby, know, I tune out anyway. Yeah, I know, but like at least, like even Mario knew knew what the Super Rugby final was before. I mean, I, I guarantee you, we didn't even know that this team existed. You're right. So, I did not know. <laughs> so yes, it's a flawed it's a flawed idea. We'll put right, well, Xander, way. let me let me throw some uh, precedents back at you though, right? Because there there have been some successful teams put forward over the years that would probably consolidate North Haven Brook. Well, let let's take the West Indies cricket team <laughs> for example. Well, though, you know that that brings together a collection of characters. different concept. No, no, different. I mean, is it? different concept. Is it though? Yeah, it is. Like How? It, it is. It's in, well. I mean, because you're talking. You're like. I think. I think the country and the city are different from an entire region uh, next to uh, a major power. For example, I mean, it's a little bit like um, you know uh, having a uh, Pacific Islanders team. Like the, the West Indies. Um, is defined by its proximity to, uh, to to major powers effectively, right? Like, I mean, they've been able to come together almost as a, you know, uh, a uh, a kind of act of rebellion. Whereas I don't think, like, they don't hate each other in the same way um, that, as Mario rightly points out, a lot of the regions hate each other. Uh, and but you know what? Borderland, there, is, there is an is, incredible amount of politics that exists within the West Indies to make sure there is representation from all these islands. So I, I don't think it's as yeah, harmonious but as you No, it's not. It's not harmonious, but but there's something about physical borderlands that makes um, for uh, bad neighbours. And when you're islands, um, you know, like you're going to have conflicts, but it's it's a little bit less. You're not, you're not, you're not in each other's faces quite as much. We'll put it that way. Uh, big Taiwan says hi. Yeah, again, very different. Very, very different. <laughs> no worries, mate. Just trying to roll you. That is, that, 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 is, that, is, that is more like, you know, Taiwan is more like the West Indies in the United States. Sorry, Mario, West different. Indies harmonious at all. They West Indies have been a basket case for a lot of years in cricket now, mostly because of the fact that there's so much politics between the team. Chris Gale was their best player and he wasn't even selected for a while there simply because I might be mixing my regions up simply because he was from Jamaica and not from Trinidad and Tobago. If I've mixed that up, a listener will correct me. I'm sure. I, be- I think you're something right. Something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, no. And you're entirely right. And it's been a selection headache uh, for a long time because it's hasn't exactly been a meritocracy, which I guess is pointing to a flaw in, amalgamating um, yeah where, where is the centralization where who, who makes the final decision and and you know and mario is right like i mean yeah they have they, they haven't been the world power that they were in the 70s um and it is hard when you don't have a, a headquarters or a hub or somewhere that that is able to dish out that central authority okay to, to throw in more localized example do you think the idea of a country team is more analogous to the indigenous all-stars for example, where obviously you've got great players from across a selection of Indigenous tribes that come together in one team and seem to play under one banner really harmoniously. Could it not work in the same way that that works? Yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to decimate the country and leave it so they're so spar- sparsely populated and disaggregated that they have no individual identities left and therefore have to group together because they've effectively <laughs> been uh, wiped out um, by an invading force. I think it might work. I see. Well, that's certainly a heavy well, critique. 
So, just saying. Like, I mean, you know, again, not, not the same. Not fair one. Let's go to uh, the relegation system now that it's also been put forward. I, frankly, I don't think that this system works for rugby league, but there is a little bit of a groundswell of support for this um, in the last couple of weeks that I've noticed. There's a number of media personalities that, surprisingly, because I think it's a terrible idea, that have actually said it has some merit, but I thought it was worthy of discussion on the show as well. Let's play the hand of hypotheticals here. If this indeed came in, in 2022, what would that world look like in promotion relegation? Is there a way that that model could actually successfully work in the NRL? Well, I mean, the, the problems with this are myriad. And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if anyone watched NRL 360, but they were they were spelled out in great detail by Paul Kent <laughs> in, into, into Buzz Rothfield's face. Um, and the, the key one amongst them is if um, you were to take the competition as it stands now, where, you know, or last year where the bottom four teams are Broncos, Titans and Cowboys, then, uh, and, you know, New Zealand potentially, like you end up with basically all of your key uh, outside of Sydney markets, apart from Melbourne, in a lower uh, conference. So you need to build something in that says that um, the uh, top league has some level of representation in, in strategic markets that you you need to keep represented in the top league. And if you have if you have that, then what is the point of a promotion relegation system? And, and that was point? such a good suggestion that Super League had back in 1996, which was exactly that. They said, "Oh, we'll have a we'll have a system of promotion relegation, and we'll invite the ARL in, but only ARL teams are eligible for being relegated, not Super League teams." I mean. It's so dumb. It's just astounding. But yes, could you imagine the Brisbane Broncos, which clearly are the most important team in rugby league, along with probably Penrith and Parramatta in terms of supporter bases and money they bring in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, could, it, it would just never work. Could you just Brisbane Broncos being relegated rugby league, the ratings would just go through the floor. Unfortunately, attendances would go through the floor and the money more importantly would go through the floor. So what you're saying, Mario, is that Brisbane could get relegated. You're starting to sell me on the idea, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> you know, the idea of Queensland being seeded out of the competition and made some kind of quasi-second-grade comp, geez, I, I think it should get a, a little bit of more momentum. I think it probably, uh, you know, there's a bit more merit than people it, get credit for. It'd, it'd be embarrassing at origin time, though, when uh, the uh, the Queenslanders, despite having all of their teams in the in the lower um, league, still managed to fucking beat New South Wales somehow. Well, didn't that happen last yeah, year? But you know what really matters? You know what <laughs> yes, it did. In 95 as well. You know what really matters, though, is that Manly have never come last, so we would never get relegated. So I'm good with this plan. Let's bring on promotion <laughs> relegation. I think there was a, a pretty a, a big fly in the ointment here is... You know, say suggest, let's suggest the model is only one team as opposed to the top 12 and one team gets relegated and one comes in. Say it's the West Tigers and you've got all these players signed up to some pretty big money. Um, you've got some big sponsors on board. What does the picture look like? I'm genuinely confused. So I don't even know if this is a, you know, I'm asking for myself here. How does that work if someone gets relegated and all of those players, top grade players are contracted to them? Do they... Can they just fuck off and join another team? Is that is that how it would work? Well, that's what's kind of tricky, right? Is that the um the the model that Rothfield put forward had a um, top tier competition 
cap of 10 million and a lower tier one of 4 million. So I don't... It, it would have to be like in English football. It would have to be loans, loans and, you know, just transfers, just basically say, here, who's going to buy this contract and take it because mm. we're not. And obviously with a 4 million cap, you can still keep a few good players in theory, but are those good players going to want to play in that competition? So how do you actually effectively spend your four and a half, your four million cap? Because the good players aren't wanting to play for you. So you're suddenly what you're going to pay six hundred thousand a year for for Sam Williams to be your halfback. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. That may be how it would have to work. Which I don't know. That just makes it even murkier for me. It just cements it as a bad idea. Look, I'm going to pitch my own idea to you guys, and I think I may have mentioned this on a show um, last year, but. Can we just do the promotion lucky dip model uh, where essentially a new team is added from the 65,000 towns around Australia, but it's pulled out like lotto balls. So you don't know who it's going to be. And, it, you know, every year Peter Volandis can pull out a lotto ball and you'll say the next team in the competition is Yorkies knob. And we all have to support Yorkies knob being in the competition, even though the population is about 212. Um, and I certainly hope the the team doesn't go numb like Nathan Ross's balls. But do you think that that might have some legs? How about we just get shit towns of Australia to whichever te- whichever town wins that year, it, they get promoted. So it's always going to be Port Perry or Logan every year. Xander, if you could promote one team, one town into the NRL first grade competition purely for the purposes of comedy, which town would you put in, mate? I mean, I think I would promote Wagga Wagga just because I like saying it. Wagga Wagga weasels, they would have to be. So, you know. And of course, you know, Mario's town hates Wagga Wagga because they hate every other town in the state. Um, I didn't realise the rivalry was so rife um, and so poisonous and so toxic. Uh, But I'm glad we've all learned here. We've all learned something here today on the show, which is what TVT is about. Uh, Look, that probably does come to the end of the show um for anyone that uh, is listening if i sound like i'm exceptionally loud or, or coming in uh, my audio is a bit strange that's because i am recording from my vehicle tonight i am parked on a rainy night um, about a kilometer from my house and so i actually can't hear myself for some reason so i might have been screaming the whole episode so i apologize about that um and any associated audio problems but um look let's just leave the show with this Until next time, just do what Xander Rosotto would do and trim his pubic hair like a neat privy hedge every Thursday night. See you next time. Xander, do you know what I found really ironic about your gardening story there? Is as sexually perverse as it sounded, it's still got nothing on Don Burke. <laughs> <laughs> or, or frankly, um, who was it? Uh, who was the fishing um, uh, Rex, bloke? Rex Hunt. Uh, Rex Hunt. Rex, Rex Hunt, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was <laughs> always a little bit disturbing. Yeah, because he used to kiss the fish and throw it back, but then the, you yeah. saw the director's cut, he used to actually try to fuck the fish too. <laughs> Anywhere well, near Rex's know, Hunt Fisher's boat is just four or five really well-rogered <laughs> fish floating lifeless on the surface. Hey, hey, boss, I thought you said Rex Hunt was dead. No, no, I said he <laughs> sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> <laughs>